Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. How great is our God. Isn't he wonderful? Yeah, amen. So thank you for being here today. Uh, My name is John Adams, one of the pastors, and we are in a series in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is just a, an amazing book. He, in the first, as we saw last week, the first 39 chapters, he comes with a message of judgment. And it's hard. And then we come to chapters 40 through 66 in Isaiah, and we saw that we're now in a message of hope. And today we're going to be diving into Isaiah chapter 61. And uh, And uh, before we do, just a couple of thoughts about the context, because I love this stuff and love to study and know what's the background. So uh, remember that um, Israel at this time is divided in two. It is a nation divided, 10 tribes in the north, two in the south, including the city of Jerusalem. Isaiah is in Jerusalem, and at this time, as he writes, in about 740 B.C., The Assyrian army comes, it cruelly destroys the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and they're taken into exile, and it's a bad thing. And they're hurting, and so some of you today are broken, you're hurting, your world is upside down, and you don't even know which way is up. That was the northern kingdom at the time. As Isaiah writes this, though, he's actually writing clearly in a hundred years, he's saying, to the nation, the southern nation, if you don't, you're not repenting. And they were thinking, man, we dodged a bullet. <laughs> the Assyrians took over the north, were good, and they continued to have their hearts worship other gods, false gods, rather than the living God. And so Isaiah writes this message like a hundred years, you're going to be also uh, destroyed. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. The beautiful Solomon's temple is going to be obliterated. How sad is that? And then, and then your, your best and brightest are going to be deported like Daniel to Babylon. And so they're like, whoa, we, we have a hard time believing that. And, but it did happen in history in 586 B.C. And then after 70 years in, in exile in Babylon, then the, there was a coming back to Israel and a restoration. And that's what we're talking about here in chapters 60 through 66 today, especially looking at chapter 61, is the hope of restoration of the city. But remember this, church, we're not just talking about a destination city. It's not just like Baltimore or Atlanta or Jerusalem. It is when we talk about the city in this series, remember that the city of God is every human and heavenly being who make their life purpose to glorify God. It is God's people back then, Israel, and it is God's people today, the church, until Jesus returns and then he brings us to the restored city, the new Eden, if you will, the perfect city of God that we will enjoy face-to-face with him if you know him as your God and your Lord. So we're going to see today that Jesus comes to repair his city. And, and the city is in ruin. And so we need a great deliverer. We need 
what is called the servant throughout Isaiah, and we see that Jesus is this servant. And we'll tell you why in just a moment. But Isaiah, look at Isaiah chapter 61, beginning in verse number one. And remember that this is the servant Jesus who is speaking. This is God's word. Let us put ourselves under its authority, its wisdom, and its power. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Now remember here, it's the spirit of the Lord, the third person of the Trinity, who really comes on the servant, who we know, who fulfills this, is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. And he anoints the servant to do all of God's work. And again, we know that when the land was restored, people like Nehemiah came back and built the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilt them after Babylon. And then Ezra the scribe comes to rebuild the hearts of God's people through the word being preached and taught. And so there is a restoration of of God's people to the city of Jerusalem and also their hearts are being restored after these 70 70 years of captivity. Well, here's the important point is, is you're that per, you're of the people of God today. You are that person that God wants to restore your heart, but do you acknowledge, do you acknowledge today not <clears throat> to destroy yourself, but to receive actually healing and freedom from bondage? Do you acknowledge because of sin? I'm that ruined city. My heart is can be far from you, Lord. I can. I can so easily be in a service and be singing. This is true for me too. How great is our God, you know? And we go out here and someone cuts me off in the traffic and I'm like, you idiot! (laughs) You know, our hearts can be so far from God so fast. And and just be the ruin of our hearts and our lives. But, But here's... Here's great news. Here, Israel was restored after 70 years of bondage. The, the city of Jerusalem was repaired, though it wasn't like in its former state. But centuries later, Jesus appeared on the scene. And we find in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22, the account where he comes to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the religious place. That would be the vine of that day. He comes in and he takes the scroll The word of God was written on scrolls, papyrus, and here he opens the scroll of Isaiah 61 and reads these very words. 
At the end of his reading of Isaiah 61, he closes the scroll, hands it to the attendant, and he sits down. And when he sat down, all eyes were on him. Because they knew there was something different about this man. And Jesus at that moment claimed, he said, now, (laughs) with the eyes of everyone on him, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he was saying is, I am the servant of Isaiah. He claimed it. And so what did they do? They, They took him to a high point in Nazareth and they were trying to push him off a cliff. But of course, it wasn't his time to die at that moment. Jesus here is saying, I am the rebuilder of ruins, not just ruined places or spaces, but ruined hearts. Do you come with broken relationships, hopes, and plans? Are you struggling with sin? God has come to restore you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of even your sin. Praise the Lord. And, they, and, he, and Jesus comes not just to save your soul, he comes to restore all things, the brokenness of the world around us. <clears throat> Isaiah prophesies that God's anointed servant, who we know again is Jesus, it will do seven things. Look at them, beginning in verse 1. Bring good news to the poor. Who are the poor? It's not just those that don't have as much money as you. You're the poor. You're poor because... You're afflicted by sin and hard things. And actually, we should be the poor in spirit where we should be humble and contrite in the midst of all of our being poor because of the brokenness of of our world and of our sin. Bind up the brokenhearted. Bring liberty to the captives. Open prisons to the bound. We are bound because of our sin. We, even Christians I know, even in my life, friends, pastor, there are days where I will live as a slave to sin. And I need to be set free to believe the gospel again and live as a slave of of righteousness. And, And what he's doing. Proclaiming the year of of the Lord's favor. We need that, right? Comforting all who mourn. Many of us, you know, we're going to all deal with sadness at some point in our lives. Give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. See, Jesus not only impacts hearts, he changes lives. Are you submitting and surrendering to the anointed servant, Jesus? He can heal you, not just your emotional pain, but your brokenness, your spiritual pain. You're running from God. You're you're turning to other idols, false gods. And he can set you free as you trust him. See, verse 2 goes on and predicts, Jesus will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what is that? Leviticus 25.10 talks about this year. It's called the year of Jubilee. It was kind of designed in Israel to be a social reset button. Boom! Everything changes in that year. All debts were supposed to be forgiven. Prisoners were all set free. People received a year-long sabbatical from work. Wouldn't you love that? But listen, Israel didn't practice this very well. And Jesus comes in the midst of their, their kind of all their disorder 
and their faithlessness. And he didn't just preach the good news. He, in essence, said, I am this year of Jubilee. I am the good news incarnate, demonstrating to you, I will heal the blind. I will forgive people's sins. I cast out devils. I have come to restore all things. Jesus comes to usher in and change his city by bringing a new kingdom. He comes to repair his city. Is he repairing your heart today? Are you, are you yielded to Christ and him alone? You see, we all need his good news. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever. Unbeliever, you need it to know Christ. Believer, you need it to grow in your intimacy with Christ and to align your heart with his word, which is, is, a, is a, a constant challenge for every one of us. Verse 3 goes on. The oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Notice, not just pine trees. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's the whole purpose of life. Christ be glorified. You see, this image of clothing isn't just talking about, you know, looking good, coming to church, wear the right clothes. It's talking the clothing imagery and this kind of planting or garden imagery, vine imagery, is, is talking about your heart. Is your heart filled with the righteousness of Christ? Have you welcomed Christ as your Lord? He imparts and imputes his complete righteousness to you if you know him. And today, before we come to the Lord's Supper, we're to repent of our sins. You are completely forgiven. All debts are canceled. It's year of Jubilee. Yay! You see, if you know him, he is working in your heart today. Are you? Are you? You've got to be, you have to be yielded. No one can do that for you. You're here, you're hearing the word of God. How does he want to change your heart today? You see, uh, this is, uh, this, when it talks about the garments and you wearing these, it's talking about total personal renewal. It's an inner expression of inner heart change. Again, the garment, the garment covers all of us, if you will. And the people in this city here, are, verse 3, are described as the planting of the Lord. Isn't that a great phrase? Hey, did you know refresh? Did any of you go to refresh? Raise your hand. Gotcha. All right. How was that? Yeah. Woo. Refresh. So hopefully you're continuing to be refreshed, uh, students. And our student ministry is actually called what, Tori? It's called Rooted. Rooted. And you know where that comes from? Ephesians, I looked it up, 3.17, that we would be rooted in and in Christ and his great love, the height, depth, breadth, length of God's love. Rooted, rooted. That, that imagery Paul takes about being rooted, he takes, he, he steals, if you will, from Isaiah. Right here, Isaiah 61.3, where it says, the planting of the Lord. You all, it's not just for our students, it's for all y'all to be rooted in Christ. To be the planting of the Lord. 
He doesn't just give you a new identity. He does. He gives you the strength to live in it. To be rooted in Christ as, as, as your soul foundation for living. But what's, what's pretty cool about this passage in the city, how it's transformed, is we notice here in verses six, 5 and 6 that those who were once considered outsiders and insignificant, the valueless, are made making the huge impacts in the city. Look at verse 5. It says, Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. Who are the strangers and the foreigners? <clears throat> Remember, Israel despised the non-Jews because they were outside of they were outsiders and they believed in many gods. Well, he's saying here, strangers, Gentiles, non-Jews, if you will, and foreigners, people that are not in Israel, they will actually be, tend your flock, which means they're going to become your shepherds. How about that? This is surprising to the Jewish person. Because it's like, those guys are going to be our shepherds, our pastors, if you will. And, and obviously it's because the strangers and foreigners are coming, submitting their life to the servant, the anointed servant, Jesus, the Messiah. And see, when you do that, everything in your life is renewed and changed. And God, when you, you might have felt like an outsider in your life or you feel insignificant, you're not anymore if you know Jesus. You are no longer a stranger or a foreigner. You're now like, God is giving you just a new place and a new identity to live in and walk in. And of course, pastors of God's church, wow, what a crazy thing that I get to do this. And I... I am a Gentile. <laughs> I am one of these former strangers, foreigners whom God has transformed by the work of his grace. But you see, it's not just for pastors. His real emphasis of this passage, what I love, is for y'all. Look at verse 6. He says, but you shall be called the priest of the Lord. Who is the you here? Who is it? Us. You! God's people, the city of God, you, 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 all you, you, you will be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and in their glory you shall boast. You know who's making the biggest difference in this city that Christ is at the head of? You, the people of God. It's not just even the priests or the pastors, if you will. Actually, you become the priest. You are the ministers. Revelation 1.5 says you're a kingdom of priests and, and ministers. You become these ministers. Ephesians 4.11, that our, our whole process in the church is that pastors, teachers are to equip God's people to do, to be the ministers and do the work of ministry. So your, your life really matters. You're not valueless. You are full of purpose. If you know Jesus as your God and Lord, this servant Christ of Isaiah is your God. 
He is changing your, he's changed your heart and he's empowering your work. Your life has full of meaning at the end of the world. God's going to say, well, how did you use your gifts for the, my glory? And, you know, it's an opportunity. Thank him, Lord. Thank you that I got to do some of this. I didn't do much. And he's going to be like, you're the most important in my kingdom. I, I love like, like Francis Schaeffer in his writings and one little phrase that sticks in my mind is he says this, there are no little people in the kingdom of God. You all matter. You know why? Not because I say so, but because God's word says you are his priests and your ministers. You are full of value if you know him. And this is the radical kind of doctrine of the priesthood of all believers that changed the world at the Reformation 1500s time. John Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, all of these guys, they got together and they began to say the word of God is what we're going to preach. We're going to lift up his word and the God of the word and we're going to build this whole thing on in his word. And one of the key doctrines was the priesthood of every believer. You're all priests and kings. Hallelujah. And that should give you a lot of purpose, right? Value that your work is making a difference for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Wow. Thank you, Lord. And so he goes on here in verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. See, he takes you, strips you of shame. That was all the way back in the garden after sin. Sin produces guilt, which produces shame. And he replaces your shame with what? What? Everlasting joy. You get everlasting joy, Charlotte. Praise God. You see, some of you feel like posers because you, you're thinking this way. If this person, if you're married, you know already, they know your life and they know who you are, right? But you're thinking the person next to them. If they really knew what's going on in my mind, in my heart, in my life, they would know I'm a fraud. <laughs> but thanks be to Jesus. He takes us. He, he knew how little faith we, uh, we might even have. And that we might think shameful thoughts of ourselves. I'm too much of a sinner to be accepted by God. It's a lie. We need to trade is that old chorus. I didn't like this chorus, but it was a chorus in the 80s. I'm trading my sorrow, or I'm trading my shame for the joy of the Lord. That's good words there. And that's what's happening here in this, this passage is that we need to really realize that God exchanges for our shame joy and joy everlasting. You see, that we would be convinced we're no longer frauds or unworthy, but we are his sons and daughters. It is because of God and his grace. You know, we say it a lot here, but God, but for God. But yet, 
His grace is for you and me. Praise be to his great name. We receive a full inheritance. That's what it's talking about, a double portion. The elder brother in the, in the Israeli families in this day would receive a double portion of inheritance. So younger brother got gypped. Older brother got double portion. I'm a younger brother, so I could, you know, talk about that one. And the, and the older brother gets the double portion. He's the, the beloved son. And, um, but here in God's kingdom, the servant, you know what he says? Who, who is his beloved? It's every one of you. This is amazing that he calls every one of you who know him as, his, as God and Lord. He gives you a double portion and you get an inheritance that is so deep and wide. It's your co-heirs with Christ of all that God owns, which he owns it all. And this is phenomenal to think about and to rejoice in. Psalm 16, 6, that's why the psalmist rejoices saying, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. We get a double portion. No longer, I'm trading my sorrow. I'm trading my pain for the joy of the Lord. You don't have to slap a smiley face on if you're going through hard circumstances, but he will well up in your heart joy as you realize you are his son and daughter and the full implications of our sonship. Thanks be to God. In verse 8, he says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. That word means reward. That I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the offspring the Lord has blessed. You see, the Lord promises through his everlasting covenant beginning in Eden and expanded through Abraham, the father of the Jews, Genesis 12 and 17, that he will faithfully give them their recompense, their reward. And the recompense is not because, well, it's about time something good happened to me. Or, or finally, God is noticing the good work I did for him. Friends, that is not... The, that is not the reason why you get the reward from the Lord. The only reason you get reward is because God is a gracious and merciful and compassionate God. He is slow to angry. He is long-suffering toward your sins, and he forgives you of everything. This is the goodness of God. We get reward, though we deserve eternal punishment. This is amazing. And so we should ponder this and think about how Jesus, the servant, accomplished this everlasting covenant. He came, and we've, we've looked at it, and as Jesus establishes what's called the new covenant when he came. And he does work not only justly to defeat and punish all of his and our enemies, but to save and reward his people, which is staggering that we get blessing and not curses. We get rewards. We get to be with him forever, and he is with us 
right now, that spirit that was on Jesus when he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, you know what? He is in you. And if you're trust, as you trust him, he is on you. He is working through you. As you align your life to his word and you trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Jesus the servant is speaking here in verse 10. The work of God's people, verse 3, to become a garment of praise, Jesus is clothed to do. He is the righteousness of God, and he gives and covers you with his righteousness. He himself alone lived a sinless, perfect life of obedience. He alone fulfilled the law's demands. He alone has won the day. He is the great servant. And he receives the garments of righteousness. And he says, come here, my son and daughter. I clothe you with my robe of righteousness. Come here, prodigal. I put on you my best robe. I'm going to throw for you the best of feasts. Because once you were lost, but now you are found. I am your righteousness. And I give to you my righteousness. Isn't that cool? God is so good. God is so great. Christ has won the day. The battles are raging, yes, but he's already won the war. Thank you, God. And it says that he adorned, he is, he is adorned Jesus with the beautiful headdress like Aaron the high priest who put on not just ladies like a nice hat, but he put on the turban or the crown, the priestly crown to enter the Holy of Holies. Once a year, the high priest would clothe himself very carefully, very big process, and he would put on a turban. And he would have a rope around his waist and bells on his feet in case he died in the presence of God and would go into the holy presence of the Ark of the Covenant to go be in the presence of God. And here, here, friends, God is talking about Christ the Son. He has been adorned with this. And he has been given the crown of righteousness. And because he has been given a crown, Jesus promises he'll give you a crown. And me, this is, we're going to get that turban. We don't... Have it right on our heads, right? We're gonna, in heaven, we're going to get that crown of righteousness based on his perfect life of obedience and given to all the hearts of everyone who trusts in him and his saving work. Do you trust him? Do you know him? And like a bride and a groom, God prepares his anointed servant to finish the, the final repair of the city. He comes to repair his people at his first coming, his life and work repair the hearts of his people. And at his second coming, notice this, he will make all things new. Everything will be restored. As we sang from Revelation or we heard from Revelation 21, there'll be no more tears, no more mourning, no more. 
All will be made new. We'll be face to face with God for everlasting joy. That's when we're going to get the full download of joy. It's coming soon. Do you believe it? Are you looking forward? Are you longing for the coming of Christ? Do you look to him to pour out and give you a life of purpose and joy? You are not valueless in yourself. You are a part of the city of God. God has created and recreated your heart. And more and more, he is pouring out his spirit on you as you trust him. And he is doing a work through you and in you as you choose to say, Lord, I I love you, Lord. Help me to delight in you and obey your word. And help me just to follow faithfully in your city, as a part of your city. Thank you for all the repair of my heart. I give my life to you. I build my life on you. I say, Lord, let me die to everything else that is not of you. And let me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.